0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au Father, we want to be open to the presence, the comfort, the counsel, the guidance of your spirit who you have promised to be with us. Forgive us when we don't pay attention, when we don't stop for long enough to hear you or to wait with you. And in this time, we pray that we might receive something that we can take with us, that we can remember, that we can be encouraged, affirmed, challenged, convicted. Something that, we can, that can reveal something more of who you are and of who we are in you. And the imitation that you have for us. And in this, we just want to give you thanks and praise. Amen. So if you've been a part of the Horsham Church of Christ for any length of time, you know that this is not my usual outfit. Um, already I've had people saying, I oh, must be a baptism service today. Well, if you're willing to hang around for three hours, we'll baptise someone. Um, <laughs> uh, someone said they forgot the memo. They didn't get the memo that we were going casual Sunday. Um, It's funny, yeah, I mean, last couple of years, there has been a couple of years where I've worn the same outfit every Sunday, where I've worn the same pants and shirt because I hate getting up Sunday morning and trying to think about what I have to wear. It's not just ladies that have this problem, let me tell you. And I know because I've grown up in a house of ladies. Um, I've changed my clothes as many times as as, as my girls have. Well, I don't understand a different outfit for a a different, a a new event. But anyway... um, So here I am apologising for my outfit because look, I know, look, I've been away with friends this weekend, I've been celebrating a mate's 50th birthday and quite frankly, I couldn't be bothered taking my Sunday clothes, hanging them up, getting them dressed, sitting in the car and coming back. I've come back just for you today. Um, Yeah, all right. Yeah, Yeah. all right, all right. (laughs) We still need to work on the clapping thing, don't we? A little bit like, that was pretty good, yeah, yeah. Now some of you... Some of you will remember today's outfit more than you will remember the message. <laughs> because some of you are actually horrified. Some of you are horrified that my legs aren't fully covered, that I'm not wearing pants. Um, some of you are horrified that I'm not wearing a collared shirt. I, I wear collared shirts most days when I'm at work because it helps me separate. I don't know what I'm gonna do for the rest of the day because it helps me separate work from casual. So because I'm in casual, I don't, I don't know whether I'm coming or going or Arthur or Martha. So, um, you know, so, but I want you to, I know the, the outfit is there because I wanted to say, look, I'm sorry. Maybe I said to someone this week, you know, oh, it's so hard to get up on Sundays. They was saying, you know, I just wish I could come in my pyjamas. I say, come in your pyjamas. So I've dressed down. If you want to come in your PJs, come in your PJs. Um, some of you are thinking, you don't want to see that, Simon. Well, maybe I don't, but... Um, Look, growing up, we had a very strong sense of uh, Sunday being a very different day. Remember those days? Uh, Sunday was very significant. Sunday was uh, special. Sunday was set aside. Sunday was set aside. Like I had one set of clothes, that was Sunday. That was it. Um, And uh, our parents were very um, intentional and deliberate and I would even argue strict. I don't hope that's not too strong, Mum and Dad. Hi. Um, so, but uh, it was but except for the picnic Sundays where we used to, now, if you've been to York Street and Ballarat, we used to have a, a, a Sunday picnic service out at Kirk's Reservoir. And I, I remember being so excited about going to my mum can I wear my casual clothes can I wear my jeans to church because you know we're going to go and play cricket or football or British Bulldogs or whatever was allowed back in the good old days and you know do I have to wear my Sunday best no Simon, you can just wear whatever you want yes so um, we were going to church we had clothes just for Sunday and even now for me there is a wrestle in my head and somewhat in my spirit you know there's days where I just get up and go you know what Oh, this is what I'd like. Um, so look, I apologise. Um, but, the, you know, I, I know the clothes that we wear on Sunday are not God-ordained God necessarily through Scripture. And I know there's a whole sense of coming before the King and presenting ourselves before the King. But there's also a challenge about coming as we are and coming as we feel. So all of that to say apologetics isn't about apologising for my clothes Or my outfit or you might be disappointed for my outfit apologetics isn't about apologizing for the confusion or any hurt that's been caused Um, apologetics isn't about actually apologizing at all but apologetics oh there's the apology uh, is to have speech in one's defense of faith so to be able to explain our faith to be able to give an understanding of it, to be able to give reasoned argument to it. It's to make an explanation for what you believe or to explain faith against the mistruths that others might say about it and then to explain the kind of life that it calls us to live. That's what apologetics is. Some of you might have heard this word. Some of you might have had this conversation. Some of you uh, might have wondered about it. And this is essentially what it is, making one's defence or one uh, giving an explanation for your faith. Making an explanation for what you believe. Now some of us will say, well that's easy Simon, you just got to have faith. Yes, that's a great start. But perhaps we need to be a little bit more thoughtful and intelligent and considered and show a bit of maturity about our faith. Now if you're new to the church, if you're new to exploring who Jesus is, whether you're here in the building, maybe you're watching online, This is a great opportunity and a great season to press deeper, a great series to press deeper into and to gain a deeper understanding and a deeper richness about some of the questions that you um, might have about the Christian faith. The reality is, because the Christian faith is taking a bit of a hit, has taken over a number of years, we can all talk about the disappointments that were felt about the church or the ministers and the clothes they wear or what they did or didn't do or what they did or didn't offer at any given time. We can all express disappointment about the Royal Commission into sexual abuse, institutionalised abuse, all those kind of things. But um, I actually think there's a great opportunity in this time to express the hope that we have. And it's a great imitation in this season. But just some, just some reasons that we might struggle to declare hope or why people might be struggling with faith at the moment. Let's just start with the, most, um, the one that's before us the most, the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. I mean, it's absolutely madness. And I, like, it's just, it is insane. I don't have any other description for that with all my political know-how and knowledge. Um, it's just madness, absolute Madness. Um, there's civil war in 21 other countries throughout our, war at the, uh, throughout our world at the moment. Civil war in 21 other countries throughout our world. So that's just starting. What about the Remember those stories around Taliban taking over Afghanistan and seeing the people climb onto the US planes as they were trying to leave Afghanistan? What about that? How's that for feeling hopeless and overwhelmed by the circumstances of our world? Let alone out of that and before that, through civil war, the thousands and the millions of displaced people, refugees throughout our world. Millions and millions of people. And on top of that, what about our own nation's response to asylum seekers? It was astonishing in the whole Novak Djokovic thing, and whatever you think about that, he was staying in the same motel and getting all the media coverage in the same motel that people have been staying for nine years waiting for a temporary visa. Comprehend that. And people in our media and people who went to protest for Novak Djokovic did not know. Sounds hopeless and overwhelming, doesn't it? What about government corruption and greed, the famine, drought and climate change, Black Lives Matter, Aboriginal deaths in custody, um, the conversations around the LGBTQI community, their rights and the suppression bill that's just been implemented in the last 12, 18 months. Two years ago, our nation was on fire, like literally on fire. Remember that? And then we've had the pandemic and then we've had the maxina- uh, vaccination mandates, I got excited. The vaccination mandates and the confusion, the weariness, the isolation, the division, that that's all caused the breakdown of family relationships and friendships, the heartache around that. You're feeling hopeless yet? It's overwhelming, isn't it? And now on top of that, we're confronted with the floods throughout New South Wales and Queensland. This world is in turmoil. And then, Rod Marsh and Shane Warne die. (laughs) I mean, the end of the world is nigh. (laughs) And none of this, none of that says anything of the ordinary, everyday challenges that everyone in this room is facing. In one way or another. And it would be easy, and it is easy. I've felt it, maybe you've felt it, this sense to go, you know what, God, with all of that, with all that evidence right in front of me, whatever you've got to offer has, means nothing, makes no different, offers no hope. Would be easy to do that, wouldn't it? And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, because that's exactly how you feel. And fair enough too. But I want to argue, and our hope over this series is to actually argue and say, while it might be easy to dismiss hope, I want to suggest that it's actually a great opportunity for people of faith, for people who are questioning and exploring to actually declare hope. And to give reason for our faith in the midst of this turmoil. Because remember, over the last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to live a distinctive life. The New Testament church, we've talked about, many people have talked about, we've just got to be the New Testament church. The New Testament church, there was... 25 different models in the New Testament church if you want to be a New Testament church let's live lives that are distinctive let's live lives that are distinctive in our response to our finances to our employees to our marriages to our children to our relationships with one another let's be distinctive because of the hope that we have in a time of upheaval and uh, people being scattered, in a time where persecution was uh, existing. We read in First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. That is the threat of the government, the threat of the empire, the threat of the same empire that crucified Jesus. Do not be frightened while there's the possibility of being burned alive at the stake. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now look, if we want to give a reason for our faith, here's a few clues for us. A great passage to remind us. How do we explore our faith? How do we give reason for our faith? How do we explain our faith? You can go to people, when people come to you and say, well... Why do you, well, you just got to have faith. Yeah, but why do you think about, what do you think about this? Well, you just got to have faith. It's not enough. It's a great starting point. It's a great finishing point. Faith is an important element. I don't want to undermine the nature of faith, the importance of faith. Faith indicates our trust in something beyond what we can see into something what we believe and hope for is yet to come. It's another reality. We see another reality. But here are a few cues for us. Start with your heart first. Check your relationship with Jesus. Revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. And that would be a good starting place. If you're about to go in a decision-making, if you're wrestling with relationship, if you're wrestling in any capacity if you're wrestling with work or if you're wrestling with how you're being treated in any particular way check yourself first Jesus what's happening in me Jesus what would it look like for me to surrender to you in this moment my wife is annoying me my husband is annoying my kids are annoying me my parents are annoying me my colleagues are annoying me my finance, finances are a mess oh hang on a minute what's out of whack in my spirit here Jesus what if we started there? And if that's, if that's where you get to today and you're already being slapped in the face, then stay in that. Because we do, we do so much, and I know, because I do it. Why aren't people doing this? Why is it so complicated? Ra rah, rah. And I can lose sight of actually, I need to revere Christ as Lord. If we want to give a reason for our faith, let's start with what's happening in our own relationship with Jesus. If this is the extent of our relationship with Jesus, it's pretty fragile. And we'll get to that a bit further on. Um, Always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. Do you know what that means? That requires that you and I, if you're following Jesus, you need to do some work. Again, if our response or if our hope and our, uh, our level of maturity is dependent upon this moment, I don't know if you've worked this out after being in ministry here. There are moments where I stand up here and I step off the platform. I think, oh my goodness, I'm sure you've thought the same. Or you've walked away and thought, I don't know what he was on today. Or what, what was that? I didn't get anything out of that. That's right. Go and do your work. Because you're not going to stand, if you're wrestling with what it's going to look like before Jesus, Jesus isn't going to stand there and say, so what do you think about your ministers that served at the Horsham Church of Christ? He's going to say, how'd you go with me? Always, so this is about, um, and look, don't, don't get me wrong, we've got a huge responsibility and we'll be judged on it. Don't. I? I've got to answer the question too. Woo-wee. Um So there's some work that requires we have to grow, we have to do some work. Whether reading scripture, that might be your starting place, whether sitting quietly and waiting for Jesus, whether going a bit extra into commentary reading or resource reading or reading another book, all sorts of things. We've got to grow and mature. Well, it also struck me, um, always be prepared, so revere Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Who are the people that you're in a relationship with? Who are the people of peace around you? Who are you the people of peace with? Not everyone will ask you. Just take some pressure off. It's okay. But God, who can I be available to? Who, can, who, who will you want me to... And you're not going to tell everyone about Jesus. You know, it just might be, you might give a different perspective. But slowly over time, you begin to introduce that distinctive way of life. When someone says to you, I'm having some real troubles with my boss, and you don't bag out your boss, but you say, look, I can understand the frustrations there. How can we approach this differently? Or this is the things that I've learned because I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, we can, there's all sorts of creative ways. Use your personality to reflect on what it means to revere Christ as Lord so that you're ready to give an answer. But even about, you know, what, you know, do some thinking about all that list of things that I gave you 10 minutes ago. What do you think about that? Why do you have hope? What sustains you? You go and do some work on it. Write some stuff down. Write a 60 second elevator speech. Do some work. I feel like God's doing his work at the moment. Um, and do this with gentleness and respect (laughs) oh man do we need an extra dose of that at the moment don't you think just with some gentleness and respect and look every now and then I know and I'll say this metaphorically speaking imagery speaking we'd like to take a block of two by four and with an explanation (laughs) this is what I think of your idea it's not helpful is it it's not helpful With gentleness and respect. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do confronting work. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. That doesn't mean we hide away from things. I'm not saying we become all soft and mushy-gushy all the time. That's not what I'm suggesting. I don't think that's what Peter suggests. You can't be mushy-gushy in a time of persecution, can you? (laughs) But we've got the capacity to do it, all starting with checking our heart first. How we treat people is important. And if you want want a model of this, look at Jesus. How many conversations? I think there's over 300 conversations where people came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm hearing this, or this is how my brother reads it, or this is how we've heard about it. What do you say? And Jesus turns around to them and says, so what do you think? How do you read it? And there were plenty of people that walked away from Jesus, and he came back to God, his father. And said, I'm about my father's business. You don't have to agree with me, you don't have to follow me, that's okay. I know who I am and I'll stay true to that. And if we could teach our kids that, that would be a huge transforming work in our community. He allowed people to disagree with him, he invited thought, he invited reflection, he invited response and exploration. God never invited blind faith, Jesus never instructed thoughtless faith. Faith is actually invites us to see more and to participate in more. And please understand me again, I'm not dismissing or undermining the nature of faith in that. Do you know, you think about how many times a day that you demonstrate faith and where your friends demonstrate faith. You get up out of bed, you switch a PowerPoint on. You set the alarm the night before, that's some faith, isn't it? You go and flick on the coffee machine or kettle, you expect to have power. You can't see it, you have faith that it's there. You get in your car, you put your trust in a whole lot of people that you've never met, seen, or probably don't want to know. Or a whole lot of robots. There's some faith. Uh, You put your faith, what about ATMs? and the people who make sure there's money in that. You just, we, we, not you, we, I do it. Mindlessly, go and put, we I don't know, do we even put cards and machines anymore or do people just do everything online? Faith and science, there's mixture of faith and science everywhere you go. I mean, it's a flawed example, isn't it? I know that, it's a weak example, it's full of holes, but it's a starting place. But none of those things prove to be satisfying or eternal, which leads me to another, and to consider the nature of deconstruction. Maybe didn't you like the way I did deconstruction slide? Um, OK. Um, people when deconstruction, it becomes something that undoes or we pull apart everything that we've known or explored or thought about or we've been told. It's helpful to ask questions. Jesus asked questions. It's important that we ask questions. Why do I get dressed up on Sundays? I get dressed up on Sundays because it helps me separate work from casual, work from home. I get dressed up on Sundays because there is still something in me that says setting aside Sunday and making it valuable and important. There's still something of my parents teaching in there that says this is important. So there's a deconstruction of it, but there's a sense where I've put it back together as well to reflect who I am and my personality and the way that I do that and my maturing. Deconstruction, asking questions about the reasons we do things, and this is why we're doing this series, is important. But I would also uh, also caution about what I've heard about deconstruction. What I understand is that deconstruction often means we just toss everything out And we just pick out the bits that make us a little bit comfortable and suit us. But deconstruction is actually an invitation uh, to go deeper and to mature, if we're willing. And I would caution against becoming resentful, bitter, dismissive and isolated in the conversation. Because deconstruction often points out the flaws in other people first. Or the experience that we've had rather than pressing into the heart of God and revering christ as lord if you want to ask questions that's fine if you want to ask questions about whether god is actually lord okay you got to go on that journey we've all got to go on that journey because at some point every single one of us has to decide is this faith mine or is it the faith of the minister or is it the faith of the parents or even the faith of my grandparents or my great-grandparents who does this faith belong to And the other warning I would have about that is you will have to do that multiple times in your life. Key moments in your life where you have to think about what your faith means. I can appreciate it can be really difficult to ask questions, and especially in a historical conservative church at times, because we don't always feel safe to ask the questions. We either feel like we should know the answer or we've known the answer, but it's no longer sitting quite right. And we don't feel safe because other people might tell us, well, you've just got our faith. Just get on with it. Put on a smile. Keep going. I remember being on a camp when I was a a younger boy. And uh, being keen and uh, wanting to learn, and the speaker was telling a story, and, and I've got a I've got a memory. It's about Jesus feeding the thousands, and he and he asked the question and uh, about I can't re- I can't really remember what the question was. I can't even re- really remember you know, the answer. I put up my hand. I, he pointed at me. I gave him the answer, and he just flat out said, "No, you're wrong." And as he kept walking away, and aren't you the preacher's kid? It's not that funny actually because as we grow into adulthood that's exactly how we feel when we ask our questions a 10 year old boy or a 12 year old boy is not meant to know the bible in inside it out and when I have conversations with adults and I'll sit with adults and say so how's your relationship with Jesus a lot of adults can't answer that question So how do we engage? Look, people are going to ask questions. Don't be a jerk. Don't be obnoxious. Check your heart with Jesus first. If you have reason for your faith, or if you've, maybe you've explored that question, or maybe you haven't explored that question, there's no reason to be obnoxious about it. Just love people first. Are we okay? Hebrews, which is a hard letter to read, but some good stuff. Good stuff. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Again, highlighting that sense. Guess who's responsible for the growth and maturity of your faith? Just have a guess, a wild guess. I'm as responsible for my growth and maturity. I've got an extra responsibility for your growth and maturity, but actually we're all just as equally responsible. And that's, that in, that's incidentally not that I can just go and do what I want. I've, community is important in that growth. Not, again, don't, it's not about isolation. Anyone who lives, in, lives on milk, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11, so that you, what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised." And then in verses 19 to 20, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. Here, let me sum up these verses in Hebrews for you. There is the work of Christ and there is the work of the people. Christ has done the work. And he allows us to enter into the throne room of God, all by grace, all undeserved, no doubt about it. But we're all required, expected and invited to grow and to mature and to become teachers of others. And here, there are some smarter people. You might like to write one or two names down. There's some smarter people. Preston Perry, Ravi Zacharias, Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, some of the older classics, C.S. Lewis and Chesterton, Francis Chan, Josh McDowell, Sean McDowell, N.T. Wright, Merrill Blair, Merrill Kitchen, Amy Burks, Holly Ordway, Jane Panting, Judy Salesbury, Rachel Held-Evans, Carol Nagania, um, all all would be worth following up and doing your own reading. Now, I don't I don't know every piece that they've done. I don't know everything about their lives. I know Rabbi Zacharias after his death. There's a whole lot of sad things that came out about Ravi Zacharias and his behavior. But some of his teaching is astonishing. So you've got to work that out. That's you maturing. Hmm. Chew on the meat, yeah, and spit the rest out. Um, sadly I started writing this list um, I only came across Preston Perry because I was doing a bit of a search for apologists um, and I started writing this list and I thought Simon there's no women and I actually found an article that said where are all the women in, were doing the work in the apologetics field and it's a pretty new thing actually so this is some of the research that I've done to give some names and offering to you and those people are a lot smarter than me Two things happened for... uh, I'll leave that up, sorry. Two things happened for Lee Strobel when he was working as a legal affair editor in Chicago newspaper. Lee Strobel wrote uh, The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ. If you never read those books, fantastic books, do the whole research, groundwork up if you want evidence. And two things happened for Lee Lee Strobel. Firstly, his wife became a Christian and in, in his introduction he says, I thought she would become uptight, repressed, boring, unlovable. That's some testimony about Christians, isn't it? He was surprised instead by a change in character, the strength of character and their integrity. Changed his life. He was writing about the evidence in an open and shut uh, shooting case. Uh, a guy was, had been convicted and had pleaded guilty to shooting a police officer, open and shut. All the evidence that was presented to them, and he tells the story. Um, all the evidence says, this guy did it, he was there, they, they made the evidence, and then Lee is about to write the story, it's going to be some small, pathetic story, you know, page three, page four in the, in the Tribune, because the evidence was so tight, so tight that this guy had shot this police officer. And then he gets this phone call from one of his informants you need to check the evidence again. You need to check the evidence again. This guy didn't do it. What they found out was that a police officer had like a pen gun in his pocket. The guy pleaded guilty because they told him if you plead guilty to an accidental shooting or a shooting of a police officer, um, then uh, you'll, you'll get one year in jail. But if you plead not guilty, goes to jury, you'll be in prison for your life. And he worked out that by the time he'd been in jail waiting for his trial, waiting for his sentencing, he'd only have three days left in jail. So all this, all this idea of all the evidence pointed to this one thing, open and shut um, shooting case, the guy pleaded guilty. That was, the, that was it, he pleaded guilty. Um, and then Strobel writes this, the evidence can be aligned to point in, one, in more than one direction. When the police told me the case was airtight, I took them at their word and didn't delve much further. But when I changed those lenses, trading my biases for an attempt at objectivity, I saw the case in a whole new light. Now, look, if you're sitting here today, you've got questions, great. You're not sure about your faith, that's okay. If if you're sitting here and you're solid in your faith, great, keep going. If you're watching online and you're clicking through and you're, this church thing, this Jesus thing, I want to invite you to check your biases. Check the things that you've listened to. Check the things that have heard. Because my suspicion is often when we think or we've got a whole lot of questions about our faith and our why we follow Jesus, is that we can't, we're not listening necessarily to people, or we're not spending time in, in scriptures to unpack what it actually means or to allow the spirit to speak to our heart. We allow so many other voices to speak to our minds and our hearts and our spirits. And I want to invite you to see the case in a whole new light over the next few weeks in the lead up to Easter. So we want to explain, um, So, sorry, uh, be students, read further, read Scripture, not to understand everything about Scripture, but to enjoy the relationship with God. Start there. God, what does it look like for me to know you so that I might know myself? Start there, enjoy the relationship with God, enjoy his love. And over the next few weeks, we want to explain and explore the implications. How can we know the Bible is true? How was the world created? Are miracles possible? Is heaven and hell real? Was Jesus real? Why did Jesus die? Did the resurrection happen? Apologetics. Giving reason or explanation for our faith. I want to invite us to be uh, people who engage in um, exploring open answers um, that will invite others to consider the person of Jesus, that we might have a certainty and anchor of our soul and our faith, that we might find ways to talk about these things, to declare Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We don't need to be embarrassed. We don't need to be overwhelmed. Just prepared, just prepared to give reasons for the anchor of our faith and our hope. Now, if you're new or if you're starting to follow Jesus, I think you've come at an exciting time. Maybe you've got a conversation. Maybe if you're not, um, you've got some friends. This is an exciting time. Maybe, maybe you won't invite them to the Sunday service, but maybe it gives you a point of reference that you can go back and have a conversation with them about. That's what we hope. And all of this will lead to an opportunity over the coming weeks to make a declaration that Jesus is Lord. And we will have a baptism service. So you will see me in casual clothes again. But my hope and my prayer is that we would grow and that we would mature and that we would become teachers and we would give reason for the anchor of our soul. Father, we want to thank you. We want to honour you. We celebrate you. We thank you for the work that you have done. We honour you, Jesus. We celebrate you for the love that you have demonstrated. Help us to grow and mature Help us to nourish our spirit, help us to feed our spirits, help us to ask questions that will help us grow, help us to respond in questions in a way that we will grow but that will walk with others in their journey of faith, where we would go deeper, where our lives would be richer and more distinct and awake to the faith that we have, being certain of what we cannot yet fully see or realise. And in that, Father, that many would come to know and declare Jesus as Lord.